Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Uh, If you do have your judges, go ahead and open to page 18. We're going to be looking at chapter 4 and chapter 5 today. Now, you know the book of Judges is a dark book. Uh, It is chaotic. It is people rebelling against God over and over again. Really, the only hope in the book of Judges is that God is incredibly gracious with sinful people. And you know that last week we looked at the story of Ehud. You remember Ehud, the left-handed man who would have been considered very unlikely in his culture to be the one who liberates Israel, but he did. In that kind of violent story, he stabbed that king and killed him. Uh, Judges makes no apologies. It is a violent book, but if we can kind of see that the culture was very much like that, we'll, we'll really see what God is doing. Today in our study, we're looking at Deborah and Barak. Deborah, a female prophetess in Israel. Barak, a male military leader. And if you're in the, the, the notebook, you'll notice that in chapter four, it's more of the story And in chapter 5, it's Deborah's praise for what happens in the story. And so while it's two chapters long, we're going to be looking more at chapter 4. You can read chapter 5 on your own at home. And the way that we're going to do this, rather than reading the whole story up front, we're just going to go through it verse by verse. And the reason is that there's some elements of surprise in the story And it's kind of fun to go along and see where the story's going and be surprised as we go. But I'll tell you the point. Here's the point of Judges 4. God fights the battle. It's God who fights the battle. Uh, Life is a battle. That's not all it is. But the battle's always there. Do you resonate with that? Life is a battle, that's not all it is, but the battle's always there. Whether you're at work, life's a battle. Whether you're at home, sometimes life can be a battle with family members or with your spouse, even though you don't want it to. Uh, On the streets, life can be a battle. Life is always a battle. That's not all it is, but the battle is always there. Now, as Christians, we're in a different type of battle as well because we're told to fight the good fight of faith. That means that as we go through life, It is a battle to have faith in Jesus Christ. You know that's true as well. Um, There's a great great quote by a boxer that I love uh, that says, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. Life is like that. It's like that being a Christian where you think life's going one way, but the battle happens and you get smacked and you were not expecting it. Uh, That's not how it's supposed to go. See, we have many enemies as Christians. The world, the flesh, death, and the devil. The world is the culture's way of thinking that's opposed to God. The world is in juxtaposition to God's will. But then there's the flesh. There's something in us, not our skin, but there's something in our hearts that wants to go along with the world and disobey God. So the world, the flesh, death, is another enemy that we have, and the devil, the enemy of our souls. The world, the flesh, the death, and the devil. And listen, as you're going through all this in life, 
as you're fighting the battles at work, as you're fighting the battles at home, as you're fighting the battles on the streets, as you're wrestling with faith, as you have the enemy of the world, the flesh, death, and the devil, we all have the same question. I'm in this battle, but is God in this battle with me? Is God really in this fight? Because sometimes it doesn't feel like he is. And sometimes it feels like we are fighting on our own. And, and so we say this morning that God fights the battle to answer the question, is God really in the battle? When we look at Judges 4, we'll see that God is in the fight because the battle is his. We start off with verse 1 through 3 in chapter 4. Now, this is familiar. You've heard this verse before in chapter 3, and you're going to hear it a lot more times. The Israelites again, again, again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabod of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots, and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Now, did you catch that in verse 1? Uh, again, 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 Israel did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord. Now, as we go through the book of Judges, we're going to get tired of hearing about Israel sinning. Uh, in, in fact, in our own lives, we get tired of fighting sin, right? As we battle against sin in our own lives, sometimes we get desensitized to it, and then we begin to accept it just because it's still around. But here, this verse tells us that God never gets desensitized to sin, and God never accepts sin. Uh, sin is this invasive dark force in his world, and he sees how it destroys people. And so he will never accept it. In fact, he separates himself from sin. And so when we read this verse over and over again that says Israel again did what was evil, we become desensitized to it, but it's there to remind us that God is not desensitized to it. And that means that our only hope as sinners is that God wins the battle over sin. See, see that's our deepest battle, right? Our deepest battle is what do we do about the fact that we're all sinners. God wins that battle by sacrificing his son for us on the cross. See, see, when we battle sin, we might get tired, we might give up, or we might give in, but God has won the victory over sin. When Jesus went to the cross, Jesus shed his blood so that you could be in relationship with God. If you are not yet a Christian, one of the things that you need to understand is that God punishes sin. And if you are a Christian, that punishment has been fully laid on Jesus Christ. And so if you know Jesus, there is no more punishment for sin that God is waiting to dish out. He's no longer battling you because of your sin. It has been wiped clean. You are now in a new relationship with God because of what Jesus has done. And now God might discipline you when you sin, but he will not punish you because all the wrath that he has against sin has been poured out on Jesus. 
And so your standing with him isn't based on your performance or your failure, but rather what Jesus has secured on your behalf. See, some of you might read the book of Judges and you might go, I get it. We're just like the people in the book of Judges. And there's an aspect where our hearts are kind of wired towards idolatry. But, but if you say we're just like the people in the book of Judges, you've missed it. Because we are not in that kind of relationship with God. Over and over in the book of Judges, Israel breaks their covenant with God because they fail to follow him. But you and I are not in a covenant with God based on our performance, but rather what, based on what Jesus has done for us. We can't fail. The relationship starts out with our failure in Jesus' success. He is the one who has battled sin and death on the cross for us. And so listen, when God disciplines you, it's not because he's out to get you. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. And he wants you to see the path of righteousness and turn your heart towards us. In fact, that's the very reason why he allows Israel to be overtaken by this evil king named Jabin. And Jabin's main guy, his right-hand henchman, is this military leader named Sisera. And their power comes from the fact that they have 900 chariots. Now chariots, we've talked about this, chariots were like the tanks of the ancient world. If your army was on horseback or if your army was on foot, chariots could cut through that army like butter. And so 900 chariots is a formidable force for Israel. Then we're introduced to Deborah in verse 4 and 5. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. So Deborah is this prophetess. She's a ruler. She's not a military leader. She's not a warrior. Rather, she leads out of her wisdom. She speaks the word of the Lord to Israel, and they come to her to settle disputes and to help them know where to go in their path. And she calls Barak to be the warrior that Israel needs. Verse 6 and 7, she summoned Barak, son of Abinom, from Kadesh and Naphtali and said to him, hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and the Zebulonites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabed's army, his chariots and his infantry, at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. What Deborah is saying is, bro, Barak, God is in this fight. It is God's battle. And so you can head into the battle with the confidence that it's not your battle, it's God's battle. Now, when we hear Deborah talk about Mount Tabor and the Naphtalites and the Zebulonites. We kind of skip over all that stuff because like, we, don't, we don't know what it means. But what Barak is hearing is something very intimidating. Mount Tabor, as you see in the picture behind me, 
was the place where he was going to rally his troops. And if you're going to battle, you are safe if you are on the high ground. Who can get you? Chariots surely cannot go uphill and fight that way. So Barak, by gathering his troops on the high ground, he is in a safe place against Sisera and his chariots. But then Deborah says that God has told her that he's going to gather Sisera near this dry riverbed called the Wadi Kishon. And Barak has to go down from his place of safety to a place that's flat, to a place where the chariots are going to be at their best. And once he goes down from that place of safety to the place where the chariots are at their best, to the flat land, that's where God will deliver his enemies to him. You can understand if Barak's adjusting his collar a little bit. I mean, he wants to believe what the prophetess says about God, but it's not exactly like the odds are stacked in his favor once he leaves Mount Tabor. And and I think because of that, a lot of people have debated about what happens next in verse 8. In verse 8, Barak says, I'll go with you, or if you go with me, I'll go with you. Uh, But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Now, a lot of people have said that Barak is a coward. I'm not sure that's it. Maybe, of course, there's a little bit of fear. But I think there's also an element of faith in what he's saying. Because he's like, listen, Deborah, you have delivered the word of the Lord to me. You are obviously speaking the word of the Lord. And if the word of the Lord is telling me that I will win this battle against overwhelming odds, I want you with me. Because you're the one who gave me the word of the Lord. And he will go forward even in the midst of overwhelming odds. Deborah says to him in verse 9, I will go with you. She said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. And I think there's something worth here saying that Deborah goes with Barak and Barak's still willing to go even though he's not going to be the one that receives the honor from the victory. In fact, Deborah says it's going to be given to a woman a woman is going to be the champion of this battle. Which woman? Deborah? Someone else? We don't know. But this is a great passage of them going forward, not battling each other, but battling together. A lot of times this passage right here becomes a battleground passage for men and women in the church. And we use this passage to fight about what men and what women shouldn't do in the church. It's a poor passage to do that because it's describing a hugely dysfunctional time in the place of Israel. And I think really the point is that they decide to go together. A man and a woman, Deborah, a ruler, Barak, a rescuer, Uh, Deborah, a judge, Barak, a military leader. And what we get is that God is fighting the battle through people fighting the battle together. How many times do you think the battle is just about you or that you need to fight it alone? Uh, Here we see Deborah and Barak going into battle together, a man and a woman fighting for the Lord together. She says to him, 
I will go with you. God is in this battle. God will win this. Now there's a whole sermon there on, for women on how to encourage your men. In fact, David Anderson has this sermon where he talks about how Deborah strengthened Barak and Deborah turns Barak's head to see God and, and Deborah dignifies Barak by calling him a warrior. You can do this. And I think maybe there's something there for the women in our church to say, how can we, how can you as a woman point your man to go in the battle for God? She draws something out of him. But equally so, he respects something in her. He sees God working in her. And I really think the point is that God is going to be in this fight and therefore they can battle together. That's what verse 10 says. Barak summoned Zebulon. That's one tribe in Israel. And Naphtali. That's another tribe in Israel. To Kadesh. 10,000 men followed him. And Deborah also went with him. Everybody's in this fight. God is in the fight, which gives them the confidence to be in the fight together. Barak takes a risk of faith because he believes that God is in the battle. So many times, you and I won't fight. And by that, I don't mean throwing punches. What, what I mean is standing in faith. So many times, you and I will not stand in faith because we want God to take away all the risk before we move forward. And God doesn't do that in this story, and he doesn't do this in real life, and he's not going to do that in your life. Part of walking in faith is being willing to accept the risk to follow what God has said, to obey God's promises, to go forward in faith even though the odds seem stacked against you. That's what Barak does with Deborah. Verse 12, it was reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinim, was had gone up to Mount Tabor. Remember, he's on the mountain. He's in a safe place. Sisera summoned all his 900 iron chariots and all the troops who were with him from Herosheth of the nations to the Wadi Kishon. So, so here we have the battle scene set. They're at the river waiting for Barak. Barak and his armies are at the high point on Mount Tabor. What will happen? Deborah says to Barak, go, this is the day the Lord has handed Cicero, Cicero over to you. Hasn't the Lord gone before you? So Barak came down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Barak moves away from a place of comfort and safety in order to follow the promises of God. God's promises work that way. We often think that God's promises rescue us from risk and rescue us from things that are uncomfortable, but rather God's promises are the things that we hold onto as we head towards risk, as we head towards places that are uncomfortable to be in the battle for him and with him. That's how his promises work. We've been in this building facility for about four or five years now. And I remember back in 2018 when we were meeting just down the street at O.B. Johnson. 
we were in a community center, and we kind of felt like, you know what? This place is okay, but all of our leaders sense there's something coming. Like there's something that we need to do. Like there's a risk we need to take. We need to stretch out and see if God will open a door for us. And, and we would have been fine and we would have been comfortable in that community center. But as our leaders got together, we realized, listen, we don't really know where God is leading us, but we're hoping that he opens a door. We're willing to take a risk. We're willing to begin to search for what's next. And after we'd been searching for about a month, my realtor called me and said, I've got a church building for you. I was like, what? We had been not looking for a church. We'd been looking for kind of anything that we could use. Uh, and I came and saw this building and God opened a door for us because God was fighting the behind the scenes for us. We were willing to take a risk and just say, we believe God is doing something. We believe God will build his church and is building the church. And when he says that, it's not about the building, it's about the people, but we need a space where we can worship. And, and, and in that time, God opened the door. But have we not been willing to risk? We might have never seen what God was willing to do. We did our best to obey his promises and move forward, even though we couldn't see what was on the other end of our risk. Barack is heading down this mountain towards the Wadi River, towards Sisera, and he knows God is going to win, but he doesn't know how. Verse 15 and 16, the Lord threw Sisera and all his charioteers and all his army into a panic before Barak's assault. Sisera left his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Herosheth of the nations, and the whole army of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a single man was left. God shows up what seems like at the last moment. And we learn from the next chapter, that chapter where Deborah does the song of praise, how God showed up. If you can put it on chapter 5, verse 4. Stay in your places. But she says, Lord, when you came from Seir, when you marched from the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, the skies poured rain, and the clouds poured water. So here's what happened. As Barak is coming down this mountain to engage Sisera, where the chariots are going to be at their best, God sends this chaotic storm, which makes a dry riverbed flooded, which makes their chariots, the best weapon in that era of warfare, useless because their tires, their wheels get stuck in the mud. Barak didn't know what God was going to do, but God did what he did. God won the battle in a way that actually made the chariots useless. In fact, the foot soldiers of Israel began chasing after the chariots. Everything is reversed because God shows up at the battle and he tells us that every man of Sisera's was defeated. It is a complete rout. It is an utter victory. There are no survivors because God shows up and God fights the battle. Even when you don't see how he's going to fight. 
look, that, that's kind of the next part of the story. In, in verse 17, meanwhile, Sisera had fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because they were, there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. And just so you get what's happening, Sisera's chariot is so useless in the mud that he leaves it and he just starts running. And he runs to this guy's house that he thinks is his ally, Heber the Kenite. But Heber's not home. His wife is home. Now, we don't get the sense that this character, J.L., is part of God's people. What we get the sense is that she might put two and two together. Like if the leader of an army runs to your house and he's like, can you hide me? You're going to assume that he's not winning the battle, Right? Verse 18, Jael went out to greet Sisera and said, come in, my Lord, come in with me, don't be afraid. So we went into her tent and she covered him with a blanket. Verse 19, he said to her, please give me a little drink, uh, please give me water to drink for I am thirsty. She opened a container of milk, gave him a drink and covered him again. She receives him, she gets him a drink. Verse 20, then he said to her, stand at the entrance to the tent. If a man comes and asks, is there a man there? Say no. He's saying, please protect me. Verse 21, the high point of the story. While he, Sisera, was sleeping from exhaustion, Heber's wife, Jael, took a tent peg, grabbed a hammer, and went silently to Sisera. She hammered the peg into his temple, his head, and drove it into the ground, and he died. A random action, or is God using some woman that didn't even know she was part of the fight to win the battle? Wait a minute, didn't Deborah predict that the victory would go to someone besides Barak, to a woman besides Barak? Now, wait a minute, doesn't her husband, doesn't Jael's husband have a treaty with these guys? All the odds are saying that this wouldn't happen, yet God said it would, because God's in the battle, and God fights the battle. And, and the funny thing is that she uses a tent peg and a hammer to kill this dude. Now, now, in that day, it was the woman's responsibility to put up the tents when they traveled. So using a tent peg and a hammer is, is a little bit like a housewife using a frying pan to knock this dude over the head. But that's what God uses to win the battle. And Barak shows up in verse 22. When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said, come and I will show you the man you were looking for. So he went in with her and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. You can imagine the shock on Barak's face. Wow, God showed up. God is in this fight because it's God's battle. And think of all the different ways and all the different people that God used in this battle. Deborah, to deliver the word of the Lord. Barak, to rally the 10,000 troops. The different tribes who made up the 10,000 troops. 
the supernatural storm that came in and threw Sisera's chariots for a loop. Jael, this woman who's not even part of the battle to enter in and deliver the final blow to Sisera. God fights the battle. There's something so much larger taking place in any of our stories. I mean, all of us are in a battle every day, but we're all together part of something bigger. We're part of this battle that God has against sin and death and and darkness. And sometimes we just need to take our eyes off our own story for a minute and remember that we're part of something much bigger, that we're part of the story of Jesus Christ. And God is fighting against sin and death and shame and the devil through the work of Jesus, and we're part of that story. In fact, that's how the chapter ends. It doesn't mention all the different people who acted. It says in verse 23, that day God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. That day, it wasn't just Deborah, it wasn't just Barak, it wasn't just a random rainstorm, it wasn't these troops, it wasn't Jael coming out of nowhere. It was God. God won the battle because God is in the fight because it's his battle. And if God is in the fight because it's his battle, that means that you're in the battle with him. And if that's true, don't be surprised that your life is a battle. Your enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil want to destroy you. In 1 Peter 5, Peter writes, be sober-minded, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. You and I are constantly surprised when life is tough. We have an enemy that wants to destroy our soul. We can't afford to be surprised that life is a battle. But here's the good news. The only way to lose that battle is to walk away. In the next verse, Peter says, resist him standing firm in the faith. Not fighting in the faith, but standing firm in the battle with your faith in Jesus because he is the one doing the battle. The only way to lose the battle is to walk away from Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian or you're not yet a Christian. Well, maybe God, even through the story, is calling you to be part of the battle. You think of JL, you know, this figure who's, not really mentioned anywhere else. And she sees that God wins the battle and she joins his side. And maybe today you're even being called to join the winning team. The winning team isn't us. We're sinners who need grace. The winner is Jesus Christ. And you're being called to be wrapped up in his story with us. And I know you look around and you say, well, you're just a bunch of people. And we are, but isn't that the point of the story? God is fighting just through ordinary people like you and like me. He works through a mixture of ordinary people and extraordinary events like a rainstorm. But God is fighting with us and through us and around us. And here's the good news. Through Jesus, the battle is already won. The battle's already won. When Jesus died on the cross, He defeated sin, death, and the devil. 
On the third day, he rose again. And one day he will return and he will banish all darkness and all shame and all sin and all guilt. He will banish it all and he will make all things new. When he returns, his final victory will be realized. And as you're in the battle today, can you build your life around that truth? That Christ is the victor. Christ is the winner. And he loves you deeply. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.